You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 137. What's up, gang? Hey, we're at NAEP, North American Prospect Expo. It's actually cold outside. We have guests, but this is our first Friday Q&A. Yes, it is. Yeah. So we have a page from all the gas industry leaders on the show. How are you doing, Paige? Pretty good. Yep. And we got Chris from Total Land. Doing great. Yeah, Chris. Glad you had you here. You're here for a very re- specific reason, which we'll get to. So if you want to support the show, do me a favor. Leave us a review. It's the easiest, cheapest, best way to support the show. Just go to iTunes. Give us a review. Make it five stars, please. But we'll, ta- we'll take anything. One to five stars. But please, 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 go leave us a review. Like I said, this is First Friday Q&A. We take your questions all month long, and the first Friday, we actually answer them. If we pick your question, we give you a big shout-out on the air. Jake, let's get to the first question. Cool. First question is from Neil Hutton. He writes, Mark and Jake, thanks for the, the podcast. I really enjoy it because in my current position, I'm very isolated from technical staff since I am currently working as a chemical account manager in the field. On to my question. Do you think a production company could be run using rope principles and a big portion of the technical staff working remotely. I think this could be a great way to attract older professionals that want to work from the retirement home and a younger generation that wants to work but still be able to travel. Thanks for your advice. So can you do it? Yes. Is the culture of oil and gas to the point where they will embrace this? Not yet, but it's starting to happen. I mean, we're you and I both see a lot of companies where a lot of their employees work remote. Chris, y'all have remote employees? Yeah, we definitely have remote employees. Yeah. So I think from a technical point of view, yes, you can do it. I still think the culture needs to change a little bit in that industry before companies start adapting this. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he asked specifically about a production company. So obviously, you know, you've got your, your field personnel, which need to be on site, so they can't work remotely. But as far as the office staff, yeah, hundred percent. There's Jake, no reason that you can't do that remotely. Yeah, he mentioned the acronym ROW. What does that stand for? Uh, ROW stands for? Results. <laughs> Result only work environment. Oh, I yeah. thought it was like right of way and easement. <laughs> I was going to go for right of way. I mean, that yeah. made sense to me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a management strategy, and it's uh, it's it's, it's, pretty, it's been around since I think the late '80s, early '90s. But uh, it's what they use at Best Buy. It's how they work there. Oh, work. I used to work at, Best, work Buy, at Best Buy, so I don't know why I don't know that. <laughs> Maybe they didn't tell you. <laughs> they probably didn't. That was back in the '70s. So oh, hush your mouth. <laughs> All right, so hopefully we answered that one for Neil. But yeah, Neil, you can do it. I just don't think the culture's there that the industry adopt. But I tell you what, as we head into the future and we face this bigger and bigger talent shortage, stuff like this will become more and more important. Yeah, definitely. Next question is from John Mayweather. He's a landman apprentice at. Somewhere. Uh, he writes, hey, Mark and Jake, love the show and have been listener all through school. I have graduated and working as a landman apprentice. Here's my question. There has to be a better way to assemble abstracts. It takes a ton of time, and I just feel as things are picking up on that land, there has to be a better way. Keep rocking the mic. Yeah, Thanks, John. It's, um, that's the whole reason we have Chris on, on the answer. So first thing, I'm not even sure what an abstract is. What is that? Well, abstract is going to be a compilation of documents that kind of proves the title for a piece of, piece of property. So, I mean, obviously, you're going to do a lot of abstracting when you're going to drill a well, when you're doing kind of leasehold, tract ownership type uh, stuff. So, an abstract is very important in the oil and gas industry in general. So, uh, for us, for Total Land, we have an abstract assembler that helps gather all those documents. You can put them in individually and then compile them all in one nice big PDF to send to a, a title attorney send to your clients, send to anybody you want to. So if somebody's not using your tool, is this a pain in the butt, like to actually do it? Yeah. 
Yeah. And we talk about hours and hours. Hours and hours. Days and days. I mean it could be. So give us a quick rundown on how that normally works. I mean, basically you're gonna you're gonna gather title just like you do anything else. A lot of that title can be gathered as the project is going on. Is that where you go to the courthouse actually? Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah, you're gonna get go to the, the courthouse. And yeah, all yeah, that you're stuff. gonna yeah. Exactly. You're gonna get all your plats, you're gonna get your your kind of your deed documents, maybe some uh oil and gas leases. You're basically trying to prove that this is Free and clear to do, you know, to take that next lease or to drill that property. Uh, so you're, you know what your obligations are going to be. And basically what once they get that information, then they're going to take it and compile it into this nice abstract so that a title attorney can then review it and issue an opinion on it. So you're basically gathering bits of information, documents, copies of documents Correct. from all over the different place. And you're putting them together Correct. as one big document to make the attorney's job quicker because he charged you per 15 minute increment that's right yeah and so totally and y'all actually automate a lot of this yeah i mean we have many clients that actually do a lot of abstracts through us so they'll gather all those documents and then they can input that into the system and then they need to go back and find it they know where it's at it's all there let's say you just need to add one more well if you're doing this on paper you're looking at renumbering all those papers right after the fact now, you just insert that one document, regenerate the abstract, it renumbers it based on that newly inserted document. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm guessing that y'all also, you now have a built-in library of all the stuff you've done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah so you can get resource. Yeah, so people who think I made this question up, I honestly, somebody sent this question in yesterday, the day before we came to NAEP, and Chris totally was a perfect person to answer. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Which, by the way, if people want to find out more about Total Land, where should they go? www.totalland.com. We have a booth here at NAEP, 3031. Is where we're at. So if you have any questions, just be sure to let us know. Yep. Come by and say hi if you're here at NAEP. This actually won't go out till next week, so I'm not sure that's going to work out. But anyway, right. reach out to Totaland. They're great people. They're actually one of our, our most fun sponsors that we work with. All right, Jake, what's the next question? Next question is from Brett Hackman. He writes, hello, I'm a huge fan of the show. I'm actually not in the oil and gas industry, but I was wondering how you think the, the recent shale oil and gas boom in Ohio from the Marcellus and Utica shale formations will impact the state over the next 20 to 30 years. Can Ohio become the Texas of the 21st century? Do you have any data on how much shale gas is actually in Ohio and how many years of consumption are still in the ground? I read some conflicting data online, so I wasn't sure if you have some definitive answers on that. Finally, in terms of baseball, what inning is the shale gas revolution in the U.S. and Ohio currently in at the moment? Thanks again and look forward to hearing from you. Keep the great work. I love how you put that together. That's just awesome. So, Brett. You got to remember, so you have something called barrels under reserve, and and that is a legal term, and it describes how much oil and gas a company has that they can reasonably assume they can get out the ground properly, right? So when you look at uh, barrels under reserve in Oklahoma, there's about 15 trillion, that's with a T, cubic feet of natural gas, and about 5 billion with a B of liquids. Did you say Oklahoma? I think you said Ohio. No, did I say Oklahoma? I meant to say Ohio. So in, in Ohio... Uh, about 15 trillion cubic feet of gas, about 5 billion barrels. And that's what's best barrels on a reserve. So conservatively, if you extrapolate this out like they do most of the reservoirs in the U.S., you get about four times that really there, right? This is what they conservatively say they can get out of the ground. So you got gas and oil forever. Now, are you going to be the next Texas? No, you could be the next Detroit. And I mean that in the good days of Detroit when Detroit was a major automobile manufacturer. What's happening in Ohio is you have cheap, abundant gas and you have a large skilled labor workforce so companies are building ethylene crackers in ohio to take advantage of those two things and you also have cheap transportation now the cost of building an ethylene cracker is actually the labor so as this first ethylene cracker gets built by shell 
that skilled labor force that you have is now going to know how to build ethylene crackers better, which means you can build them cheaper. I think you're going to see a domino effect over the next hundred years where more and more companies build ethylene crackers and petrochemical plants in Ohio, and you're literally become the oil and gas manufacturing center, I think, of the U.S. I, I think we're really going there. So hopefully that answers your question. So what inning are we in? What inning? In the U.S., <laughs> we're they've just finished singing the national anthem. We haven't even st- thrown the first pitch yet. All right, Jakey, what's the next question? Next question is from Rob Waters. I recognize that name. He writes in a he lot. He writes a lot. I think it's every every month. So Which we're not complaining, Rob. Keep it going. Yeah, keep, keep it going. So he's uh, he does acquisitions and divestitures at Arsenal Resources. Uh, his question is, with uh, Henry Hub flirting with the 350 mark and NYMEX strip around 320 this week, optimism is growing in the Appalachian Basin operators. Which do you see as more likely to occur in 2018 if prices remain steady or even continue to climb? Super majors and large caps attempt to re-enter or take a first bite at the basin, or international sovereign capital sees an opportunity for steady long-term investments. I really enjoy the insights and analysis of the show, and I hope to run into you all at NAEP. We need to track you now. We've got his email address. We'll email him see if he's yeah, here. Let's see that. So to answer your question, Rob, and, and by the way, do not take anything that we say on the show as investment advice. We're not professional. Please do not invest off of our advice. Yeah. So to answer your question, Rob, both. You're already seeing the super majors. Now, we can't count ExxonMobil XTO because Exxon did something different everybody else. Exxon saw the potential in the shell plays in the U.S., realized it was not their core competency, and just found a really good company called XTO, and they just bought them, right? And the rumor is there's one Exxon guy at XTO, and his job is to keep all the rest of Exxon out of XTO um, (laughs) because the way they make money is different than the way Exxon makes money offshore. So you're seeing the super majors come back in, and and they, they they took a beating, quite honestly. They bought assets when the price was really high before the downturn. They came in, they had 200,000 line item checklists to try to drill a well in shale. They did not know how to drill and factorize wells, which is the only way you make money. So they lost lost their they lost their butt. I mean, Chevron's mid-continent business unit lost money forever, right? And that was their, their land. What they're doing though is they've now learned that they can copy the independents, the small, and be very nimble, very quick. One of the super majors literally went from a 200,000 line item checklist to drill a well to 2,000. That's a huge improvement in efficiencies. So you're seeing them come back in, but come back in a different business model. They're very used to making money offshore. When you make money offshore, it's different. You make money by hitting your project milestones. You've done all your science up front. You've done all your math. You've done your test well. You know what you can get out of the ground at what weight rate it flows. So now it's about hitting those project dates and deliverables and you make money. And if you miss those dates and deliverables, you lose money. On land, it's about Drilling wells the same way a total builds Camry. Can you factorize that? So, so they've learned. Now, we are seeing a lot of, of global capital come into this industry and invest long-term-wise because they realize that the fuel of the future is natural gas. And who has the best, cheapest natural gas on the planet? Us. So I hope that answers your question, Rob. Make money both ways. And then, you know, like I said, we're going we're to shoot you an email and see if we can uh, meet you in person here at NAEP. Next question is from Brian Schultz. He's a VP over at Southeastern Freight Lines. He writes, when do you expect the CDL driver demand to increase in Eagleford area like the Permian area? Darn, that's a hard question to answer. Because what's happening is there's a shortage of CDL drivers. And, and when as the prices come back up, you need to start moving parts, people, equipment around. So you need more people. Everything from hot shots to diesel trucks, you know, big rigs type of things. 
when do I see that red demand go back up in Eagleford when the activity returns to Eagleford? And I don't think it's going to return this year. I think it's going to be another year or two. I mean, we have steady operations out there, but I don't see a, a big spike. I think you see a lot of activity in the Permian, right? And and, and then the Marcellus, but I'm just not really sure that we're going to see a spike. You don't this think year. that people are going to get tired of paying the premium in the Permian and go back well, to that's, Eagleford? That's, that's what's going to happen, right? But when is that swing going to take place? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. Chris, any input on that? Do you have any idea? I do not. I mean, I, I don't really see the, the activity. Either way, you know, we have a lot of clients using our software for different different operations, but it, they're kind of they're kind of all over the place. Yeah. So I don't I don't know if that helps you, Brian. And now if you're a CDL driver in that area uh, looking to do work, think outside what you normally would do. So instead of think about doing transport for oil company, think about all the existing operations, right? Think about all, all the hotels that have been stood up out there. They need CDL drivers too to deliver supplies, parts, pieces. So just think outside the box a little bit and, and probably help you find something if that's what's going on. Cool. Next question is from Michael. He's a drill bit engineer in Halliburton. He writes, there's a new trend of local Permian frac sand mining that is growing out here in the Permian. From what I've been told, the locally mined sand is 60% cheaper uh, than the imported sand that is traditionally being used. How do you all think that these companies will do in the market? And how will these companies with the massive discount economically affect the profitability of oil and gas in the coming month, quarter, year, and so on? And then he writes that the, the largest company is called High Crush Partners LPP. So you ever think I'm crazy? I think we're going to see a huge merger, merger and acquisition cycle happen in sand markets. There's only certain types of sand that you can use to frack a well. Yeah. And you can also man-make it. It's called propens. The propens have their place, but they still haven't proven in the majority of frack sites their value as opposed to just regular sand. Now, there's some nanotechnology going on out there that is really cool where the nanoparticles can actually change their shape based upon... Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's going to be a game changer. We're not commercial with that yet. So I think you can see a bunch of companies. I think you see private equity companies snatch up these prime sand mines because the cost of the sand is not the mining it's moving it so if you have a sand mine that's located near a rail terminal you can deliver sand cheaper but i think you can see m a activity i think you see you end up with like three or four major sand players in the u.s in the next year or so that cool. makes sense all right next question is from somebody named bk Anyways, hey mark i continue to love the show and appreciate your responsiveness to listener comments and questions I've been hearing about how one piece of why crude has rallied uh, into the you know, $60 range of late and is related to the gravity of crude oil that we're producing in the U.S. right now, specifically that we are producing extremely light crude that isn't a good fit for our or anybody's refineries, which we've talked about at least a thousand times. Yep. Can you help me understand the mechanics here, specifically what happens if you try to refine crude with gravity 45 plus as if it were gravity of 30? Can you just blend one barrel of gravity 45 with one barrel of gravity 25 if that's available and get a refinable product? And if this issue is contributing to some kind of scarcity, where is all the ultra light oil going? And obviously anything else you could think is relevant to this issue. Whew, I could spend two days talking about this, and I'm not even an expert in this. All right, so first thing, you're talking about two different things. You're talking about weight, and weight is API has uh, specs out there. So basically, if the API spec, if the weight is 10, 10 or less, it's heavier than water and will sink. If it's 10 or higher, it will actually float in the water. So that's where that comes from. But what you're really asking is the difference between not just weight, but sweet and sour crude, which is, has to do with the sulfur content. So technically, can you blend a, a heavyweight crude with a lightweight crude and produce a middleweight crude? Yes, it's done all the times. Now, the big market here in the U.S., believe it or not, is tanks, old-fashioned steel tanks. Companies, both pipeline companies and operators and refineries are buying tanks and they're blending in the tank to get a very specific, not only weight, 
but amount of sulfur that is perfect for their piece of the refinery. You know, right outside of, of Houston, we have the Shell Dill Park Refinery. It's one of the largest refineries in the area. It's one of the largest refineries in the world. They have 132 different blends coming in that refinery. Wow. Because each unit has a different need, different sweet spot, right? So you can imagine the complexity around this. Now, the light sweet crude that we produce here in the U.S., there's a big market for it, and it's Central and South America. And that market is because their refineries are not very sophisticated. They're basically boiling it just like you would distill mm. Jack Daniels, right? Mm. Here in the U.S., we have some of the most complex refineries in the world with all kinds of catalysts and crackers and different processes. And so we like that heavier complex crude because we get a much better yield out of it. So is this contributing some kind of scarcity, conservative drawdowns at Cushing? No, it's, this is not contributing anything. What's contributing to the drawdown at Cushing is price. Price is creeping back up. People stored oil, sitting on it when it was cheap so they can make money. You're seeing this happen globally. I mean, China bought a whole bunch of oil when it's cheap, and they're out there dumping it on the market as well. And see, to answer the question... Uh, well, there's quite a few questions. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to even get wrap my head around. Uh, so hopefully it helped him understand the mechanics what happens if you try to refine crude with a gravity that's 45 plus and you need a gravity of 30? You'll just get less yield out of it. it. And there's also the differences in gravities have the differences in toxicity. That lighter crude with more volatile compounds, stuff evaporates off of it quickly, right? The heavier crude, it doesn't. So it's more toxic. So th there's a bunch of things going on here, BK. Hopefully I answered most of it. It looks like I did. But if not, reach back out. We'll be happy to answer again. Cool. Next question. Uh, I think this is the last question. This question from Andy Weichman. He writes, I like what you've done with the podcast. It is a quick and easy way to stay on top of current events in the industry. As a president of the AADE student chapter here at the University of Oklahoma, I plug you guys in before every meeting. Uh, and I think you are gaining significant following here from students. Oh, that's cool. He, he makes them to listen to us before they start their meeting. Y'all should all, everybody <laughs> nice. that's listening should do that. You should I know a lot of employers do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not only is the podcast interesting for us students, but many foreign students have indicated their interest in the podcast as well. Quick question. With this new administration opening up more offshore areas to drill, do you see companies pushing to drill off the East Coast? Or do you think they'll be more hesitant since many large offshore projects can take 10 plus years and uncertainty of the next administration? Yeah, they're not going to drill on the East Coast. There's, there's reservoirs there. Is it economically viable? It's iffy. And that's without the public sentiment. You saw what happened when uh, the current administration tried to open up all federal lands. The governor of Florida pushed back and we said, okay, Florida, mm -hmm. if you don't want the money and jobs, you don't have to take the money and jobs. That's what's going on in the East Coast. Now, what's crazy about that, Jake, is they're building wind farms, right? And so it's just it's just a public perception issue out there and in our industry. Yeah, but we do that here in Texas. Well, we do it better I mean, than anybody. Well, I mean, well, we're Texas, but yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah, we're the number one wind producer in the country. I love We've that. We've got the best windmills, yep. trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and I know windmills. <laughs> you and your, okay. Um, but yeah, you're not going to see you're not going to see any drilling in the next, I don't think, the next decade. Now, you may see some experimental testing out there, but they're not going to go in production because it's just not worth it from a public perception point of view. But Andy, you and your peers, as you help change the the perception of our industry throughout this world, as you enter the workforce, your generation will be the one that will probably end up drilling off the East Coast. And then Andy, y'all don't know this, but we also had the head of, I think, SPE at University reach out to us a while back and we never could get things lined up. So I connected Andy with her so that maybe Jake and I can get out there and go speak at Oklahoma. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's nice. the, whenever I met him at the conference. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Although nobody on the microphone has any idea what we're talking about. Yeah. No, nope. it's cool. Yeah. So it's okay. It's <laughs> not, even, not even Chris. No. It's okay. <laughs> hey Chris, see that red bag right there? See it. That's the Red Wing offshore bag. It has become a cult item. People literally offer us hundreds of dollars, which we don't take. There's only one way to win one. You have to go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. No purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. 
And then if you're listening to this and you want to have some of this information, Jake goes through a lot of trouble and puts together show notes. Go to the website, allingasthisweek.com, go to the show, and you can see everything we just talked about laid out there with links so you can just click on stuff. What's the rig count doing, Jake? We were at 1,052 rigs, so up just a few from last week. That's cool. Events, we're at NAPE right now. If you would like to learn about the events that are going on in, in a way that doesn't cost you a dollar, sign up for my monthly newsletter. We put all the oil and gas events in your inbox each month for free. And Jacob put a link in that show note too. And then we're out there looking for event sponsors. So we're lucky enough to have Totaland as our NAPE sponsor. Uh, we have 41 other events this year. If you'd like to get your sales and marketing and the rest of your company in front of good prospects and have f- interesting conversations and have fun, get on the podcast as guests, get some video shot, reach out to me. I'd be happy to share details. All right, Paige, Chris, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Jake, you ready to get out of here? Let's do it. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.